today on Doomed. The marketplace of ideas rolls into Canada when Dave Rubin of The Rubin Report visits the United States' neighbors to the north. But who is Rubin going to meet with there? And uh, why the hell is he going to Canada in the first place? On this episode of Doomed with me, your host, Matt Binder, we will dive into some of Canada's worst. Because, folks, fascists live there too. Oh, Canada. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Doomed with Matt Binder. And as always, you could support this show by going to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mattbinder. And without any further ado, here is... Oh, hold on. Always takes a second for me to get this uh, countdown and feed off here. La, 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 la. My guest for today's episode, Michael Buchert. He's a graduate student, excuse me, a graduate student who's here to tell us all about the far right in Canada. And I came across this great Twitter thread uh, from Michael on uh, Twitter, obviously. And uh, well, first of all, Michael, thank you for, for joining us. Uh, thanks so much. Great to be here. And I came across this great Twitter thread from you, Michael, and it really rolled, you know, it really, not rolled, but it really laid down who the far right in Canada is, at least some of the big names that we should know about. And I'm not talking about, you know, on this show, where we really dive into the far right, at least the far right here in the U.S. You know, there's the Canadian names like Stefan Molyneux, there's the Faith Goldies, who we've mentioned on this show, they sort of transcend the border. And they are sort of known here too. But what we're going to talk about here specifically is this party in Canada that Dave Rubin is going to support, who basically has a slew of some of Canada's uh, maybe less known globally, but certainly uh, their names in the wonderful country of Canada, uh, and we're going to really get to know some of these people. But first, Michael, uh, tell us how you came across uh, this news that Dave Rubin was coming to uh, your uh, your home. Uh, I guess I've been following uh, the People's Party of Canada for a while. And uh, it's always interesting to see them gain some international attention uh, in the U.S., uh, considering that there's such a, a fringe party up here in Canada. Um yeah, where, where to go back to? So basically, uh, Dave Rubin is going to be doing a fundraising event um, for the People's Party of Canada, which is yeah a fringe far-right um, pseudo-libertarian uh, political party that was formed just last year uh, and is led by a man named Maxime Bernier, who's sort of a career politician, um, basically. And uh, so they're going to be doing this event uh, in Hamilton at Mohawk College, uh, where Dave Rubin will essentially be doing a fundraising event. The tickets are like $50, $70 um, to help them get elected. And we have a, a federal election going on right now. Um, it's about um, a few weeks left before before we, we get the results. Uh, and the party isn't expected to uh, get a lot of seats, maybe one seat, maybe a, a couple more. They're pulling at about two percent, maybe three percent at the maximum. But um, what the party has been doing, though, which is uh, concerning is really mobilizing the far right alt right base uh, in this country and really kind of s- scooping up all of the the QAnon people the 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 YouTube vloggers all of these the the, the far right the the militias the neo Nazis um, really just like a whole host of the furthest the furthest right um, of the Canadian spectrum and kind of mobilizing them giving them some red meat um, and kind of stirring them up in a way that's kind of uh, concerning for our own political discourse. And for some reason, Dave Rubin seems to want to be supporting that. Well, I think we should even go a little bit further back. Well, you know, to me, you know, there, you know, there's not much happening in the U.S. this week, so I thought this would be a great time to have this episode. But, but, but you know, aside from what's happening in the U.S., you know, Canada's having its own little uh, scandal, uh, you know, there's been a racist incident in Canada that's taken this country by storm. Uh, a little, maybe not so well-known figure 
by the name of Justin Trudeau <laughs> uh, was was caught with photos from his past where he's in blackface. Now, I have to say, it was one of the most amazing things. This is a little bit of a personal story where uh, the, the night that blackface story broke and there was one picture. Now, I'm not someone who goes to bed early. So that black that blackface story broke, and there was that one picture out there, and I went to bed, and maybe max five six hours later, I wake up, and I see a news story saying third photo of Justin Trudeau has has popped up, and I'm thinking to myself, well, hold on, what where where was the second photo? Where was I when that note news broke? How did it? What is going on with this photo? I mean, it it's not you know Justin Trudeau is clearly not an alt right figure, but I mean. You know, racism shows its face in all forms, and it all comes from somewhere. And even people who uh, do blackface and maybe grow up to be a a prime minister who doesn't espouse racist uh, policies, uh, maybe that does uh, feed into uh, where the alt-right in Canada comes from as well, you know? Yeah, I mean, the Trudeau thing is interesting because he is sort of, um, his brand is one of like promoting diversity and being anti-racist and tolerance, like good Canadian values. Um, but he is ultimately a rich kid who is born into a political dynasty. His father was prime minister before him. He went to best to the best schools. He's been uh, in the sort of those elite circles for a very long time. And we found a number of instances, three instances and four images. Um, of him in blackface over the years. So in the early 90s um, into the most recent one uh, was when he was 29 years old and a teacher at an elite pri- private school uh, in full blackface at a uh, Arabian Nights um, a gala. And yeah, it's kind of like the suppressed, um, the suppressed racism that pervades Canadian society in which we don't often uh, maybe uh, take a look at. Whereas, you know, that can be contrasted to the more overt forms of, of bigotry, which we see with the, the People's Party of Canada, and to a lesser extent, at least in the open, the Conservative Party of Canada. But I, yeah. For, and it's for something, it's US, something, by the way, very unique to Canada. No, no other kind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For those of you in the U.S., you may be surprised to hear that we have not only overt racism, but also systemic racism. But what? It's, yeah. Yeah, it's true. Uh, so we're, we've been grappling with that and it's been interesting actually to see sort of the right wing, uh, respond to the blackface scandal, because on the one hand you have Ezra Levant on rebel media, which I'm sure we'll talk about more. Um, you know, he's been, he he created t-shirts actually. I saw t-shirts today of him selling shirts with that photo, the, the Justin Trudeau in blackface. Uh, saying that he's racist. Um, they've been kind of saying he has to resign because of this. Uh, meanwhile, on his website, Gavin McInnes has a blackface video only from a couple of years ago, uh, <laughs> defending defending it, which is kind of, well, extremely hypocritical, as you would expect. Well, also, Mike, as we all know, uh, you know, blackface only became something that is frowned upon between the time where Gavin McGinnis made that video and then when Justin Trudeau's right. photos came out. So, I mean... Yeah, 2018, <laughs> I think, is when we discovered that. Uh, so, yeah, no, it's, it's it's kind of interesting. And then you have actually Maxime Bernier and the People's Party, their position on it has been um, to refrain from condemning it, but only to call out Justin Trudeau's own hypocrisy, uh, which in itself is fair, but I think it their response stems from uh, the fact that they they probably see nothing wrong with blackface, to be honest. And there's been a couple of tweets, in fact, where Maxime Bernier has sort of tried to attack drag by comparing it in a way to uh, to blackface um, in a way that that both kind of denigrates drag while also sort of legitimizes blackface. And there's been sort of this really weird online discourse where, um, yeah, the far right really doesn't know exactly how to exploit the scandal. They know it's other people see it as racist, even if they don't themselves. Uh, And, yeah, it's been kind of disturbing to watch. Now, I think that's a great way to go into this story now. And now we got a little bit of the background of Canada's recent (laughs) racism, which, you know, is shocking to hear. Uh, Here in the U.S., you know, we don't know anything about that. But um, 
we now have this little background of what's going on with Canada, and we now know they have a, a past. Jeez. And <laughs> now let's jump into this Dave Rubin thing. Now, you you track the right. You've been following the far right in Canada, and you have this great thread, and it starts with this video that I've pulled up. Now, Dave Rubin has gone on the Tucker Carlson show already. You put this thread together and called out these, you know, Rubin and... Uh, the reasons he's going there, which which we'll get into again. You named the party he's going there to support already. Um, let's. I'm gonna play this clip. Uh, I'm not gonna play the whole thing, obviously, because that would just be ridiculous. But uh, I'm gonna get to some of it because you know, it's Tucker Carlson. It's Dave Rubin. For people who are familiar with this show, you know who both those people are. If you're not familiar with this show, uh, you probably know who Tucker Carlson is, regardless. But Dave Rubin is this guy who basically calls himself a classical liberal. You know, to summarize here, he calls himself a classical liberal. And he has this big YouTube show that nobody knows who funds, even though it's well-produced. It's got his own studio. Uh, He's clearly making good money off of it. And, you know, he only has, for this classical liberal down-the-middle guy, that's what he claims he is, he only has far-right figures on the show. And... The reason is because while he calls himself all those things, he himself espouses far-right views. Now, let's play this clip. In here, one second. All right, here we go. How are they in charge of whether you get to speak in public or not? Yeah, well, first off, let's just clean up what Antifa is. You know, they call themselves Antifa. Let's go back a little bit here. How can Antifa as well? Ruben is scheduled to appear this weekend at Mohawk College, but Antifa activists are trying to stop that event entirely. Dave Ruben joins us tonight. So, Dave, on what, I mean, how can Antifa, which is committed to violent revolution, is not a, should not never be considered a mainstream group, how are they in charge of whether you get to speak in public or not? Yeah, well, first off, let's just clean up what Antifa is. You know, they call themselves Antifa, meaning that they're anti-fascist, but they are the fascists. These are people yes, they who are. use violence to <laughs> silence their political opponents. That's right. They, they have bought into collectivism. They have bought into identity politics. Uh, they have bought into the very idea that if someone holds different political beliefs than you, and I'm not talking about extreme political beliefs, I'm talking about just any different political belief than they have that these people should be shouted down they should be violently harassed and silenced so i am scheduled to speak on the 29th of this month at mohawk college in canada with maxime bernier who is running under the people's party of canada uh ticket for prime minister he's basically a libertarian i've had him on my show he is a very he is a very decent man by all accounts uh he has some positions you're not going to believe this tucker these are positions of the right That's what he has as a libertarian. And for these people, uh, they have threatened to shut down the event and they want to take pictures of people that show up and uh, check their car, uh, you know, the the license plate numbers and all of these intimidation tactics, which they we we know they've done at college events and all sorts of other things. Uh, We were informed that they were going to uh, cause the event to do 10 times the security fee that was originally agreed upon. I've offered to cover that myself. I intend on being there. We intend on going ahead with the event. And, and more than anything else, I mean... All right, so we got we got this... Uh, I played this video, and I'm not sure... I don't think you heard it on your end, but I'll... No, I didn't. But I'll, uh, I'll basically run down what he described. Uh, Maxine... Uh, Maxime... Excuse me. Maxime... Bernier of the People's Party, who he's going there to to support and and speak with, uh, who you mentioned earlier. Uh, He called him a, uh, basically a libertarian and a very decent man by all accounts. Uh, On top of all the other hilarity that was uh, Dave Rubin uh, basically crapping his pants over Antifa saying they're going to come and protest his event. Uh, Which, by the way, did you know this, uh, Michael? Antifa, the real fascists? Uh, that's what they've been saying, yeah. They've been <laughs> repeating the line that uh, Antifa should be declared a terrorist organization. Uh, now, would you classify uh, Bernier as a basically a libertarian and a very decent man by all accounts? 
I can't really speak to the second part. Well, actually, I can since I consider racism to kind of disqualify <laughs> you from that. Um, personally, maybe he's nice. I don't know. But uh, in terms of libertarian, he definitely tries to portray himself in that in that way. And he does. And I think for a long time, that's sort of what he focused on was sort of like the economic policy. Age of consent. <laughs> I'm not sure about that one, but definitely things around um, like ending protectionist economic measures, uh, defunding like public broadcasting, a uh, whole bunch of things like that, free trade, balancing the budgets. Um, but uh, in this uh, campaign, as well as his uh, run for the conservative leadership, uh, he's really been, uh, I guess, boosting these other ideas, which are sort of in the conservative um, I guess ecosphere in which he is he's he sees where some of the energy is and where he can attract some of that support. So whether or not he himself really is a libertarian at heart and he's just exploiting um, sort of alt-right bigotry in order to you know advance his political career or whether he believes it himself, I'm not really sure. But but yeah, at some point I want to talk a little bit about his history as well because oh, I think let's, let's definitely let's actually let's do that. But before we do that, I, guess, I, I think I think I even got a little bit ahead of myself. Can you explain, and then we'll talk about his history right after this. Can you explain sort of um, what these elections coming up are exactly and where the People's Party and, and, and Bernier stand? Uh, yeah, so it's a federal election, happens every four years. And it's basically right now the front runners are uh, Justin Trudeau's Liberal Party and then the Conservative Party run by Andrew Scheer. Both of them are around in the th polling in the early that low 30s, generally speaking. Then you have um, our Social Democratic Party, uh, the, the New Democratic Party. And then we have um, the Green Party. And then we have um, uh, a provincial party called the Bloc Québécois, which is just uh, located in uh, Quebec. And it's sort of a separatist, sovereignist party. And then after that, so the sixth party in terms of polling is Maxime Bernier's People's Party. And yeah, they've been running on a number of uh, things which, um, yeah, I think it makes sense to, to start by talking about his history a little bit. Right. Um, so, so the, the contradictory thing about Maxime Bernier is on one hand, he is running this totally French party polling at 2%, might get one seat, might not even get that in the election. On the other hand, he's one of the most, I guess, well-known or influential conservative politicians in the country right now. So in he, he, his political career actually goes uh, far back. I think he was first elected in 26, uh, 2006 or something like that. He was a cabinet minister in a number of portfolios under the Stephen Harper government. And he was actually even minister of foreign affairs at some point, um, although he had to resign from that position because... There was a scandal where he left classified documents at his girlfriend's house or something, so he had to resign. Um, <laughs> just kind of funny. And then, uh, uh, and then in 2017, uh, there was an election for a new leader of the Conservative Party, and he ended up coming in second place, and he very, very narrowly lost that election. And in that election, he was sort of seen to be boosting against sort of a bit of the alt-right and kind of bringing that into his base a little bit, although it wasn't really paid much attention to because there were other candidates who maybe were more open about their bigotry. Um, but for him, like he was posting like uh, red pill memes about himself. Um, and he then he would say like, uh, well, no, this is just a, um, a meme referencing the matrix. It has nothing to do with uh, the alt-right or anything, all of that does not hold any water now looking back retrospectively. Uh, but but yeah, he, he very narrowly lost. I think it came, there were like 13 ballots for this leadership. Uh, on the last one, uh, he lost to Andrew Scheer by, I think, less than 2% of the vote. So virtually half of the party voted, wanted him to become the leader of the Conservative Party. And if he had, he would be in a very good position to be prime minister in a month from now. So this is someone who is very close, a couple steps from becoming the most powerful politician in this country, now is leading this tiny fringe party. He broke away from the conservatives in um, 2018. So last year, the middle of last year, he started posting these comments on Twitter. He had this uh, Twitter thread um, condemning multiculturalism and warning about, um, quote unquote, extreme multiculturalism, which is going to be a threat to, to Canada, uh, which was denounced by pretty much everyone uh, 
and uh, he was and sort of eventually cast out of the party, I guess, in a way. Uh, it seemed like people were kind of pushing him out because he wanted to continue to say these things that there were more red red meat to the outliers of the conservative right. party. Um, so he ended up uh, splitting in, I think, August uh, 2018, and he formed the People's Party uh, very quickly. And then the past year, he's just been going around the country and building up uh, writing associations and, and finding candidates. So he's been doing this all very quickly. Uh, some of it seems kind of petty, but maybe it does come from a deep sense that, um, and there is something to this that the Conservative Party under Scheer has been, like Andrew Scheer himself is a social conservative and has sort of pretty extreme views. I, he was against same-sex marriage. He, uh, you know, he is uh, like anti-abortion. He has all these things that are kind of seen as toxic in the political discourse. And so he's trying to make himself seem very uh, tame or like safe, like a safe bet. And so he has been doing a fairly um, effective job, I think, of sign of, um, of sticking to message discipline, of having kind of a centrist message discipline. And in that context, I think you have a lot of people on the far right who you know, they're experiencing the wave, the mobilization that occurred under the Donald Trump uh, campaign. Right. And so it's the same kind of thing where you have alt-right messages and just a, like a new wave of uh, of mobilizing over those kinds of fringe issues and the conservatives in this country kind of itching to be a part of that as well. And so Maxine Bernier is saying, uh, look, the conservatives aren't really conservative. They're not letting you speak. You know, they're anti-free speech or whatever. Um, but I'm a real conservative party and I'm really for free speech. And uh, and he's giving them a voice and like really empowering uh, that part of the constituency. And so I think that's why you have people, you know, see him as someone who they want to talk to. Right. Uh, people like Dave Rubin, I mean. Right. And, and I'm glad you brought up, you know, what the, the parallels to what's going on in, in the United States with Trump and, and how that's. You know, that's something that Bernier is feeding off of because, cause, you know, one of the, the reasons for me uh, to, to do this show and, and more shows like this on, on the, the right wing movements uh, in other countries is that we are seeing and have been seeing now since I would say probably 2016, this, this spread of far right uh, ideology across the world in a way that I think we haven't seen in, in many, 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 many years. Uh, it's not just, you know, this ideology has always been around. It's always been been being shared and, and people have been joining these fringe groups. But we now see, I mean, w with Bolsonaro in Brazil, with, you know, we, you don't have it in Canada yet, thankfully. We, you know, we got Trump here. Uh, we, we, the, there was the, you know, look at what uh, the UK is dealing with, with uh, Brexit. Because of the rise of UKIP, which is a you know it's a joke now, but they rose to prominence and got Britain to where they are now, where they don't know what whether what's going on with the, the deal with Europe, and um, you know I, I think if we don't start covering this the way it's meant to cover be covered, where we look at it as a global movement that successfully brought all these far right groups into power or close to it, then it's not going to be, we're not going at the real problem. Because clearly there's people all over the world who are being fed this, the, scapegoat, the people they scapegoat. They're being fed the lies that they, they, they push. And it's captivating. And it's winning over minds where, you know, you you wouldn't normally think, wow, you know, this is where we're this is where we're at in 2019, and I think to even better understand it is to get into who makes up the the names of these parties, and you know, we just got into Bernier. We'll talk we'll talk about him even more, but there are a number of different individuals that you brought up uh, in your thread I was reading of who supports the People's Party and sort of who are the, the, the people pushing it, you know, to the to the base. You know, Bernier is the, the head of it, but, you know, he's not getting around and talking to all the people. Uh, other people are involved in pushing these ideals on and and swaying people towards this party. Yeah, I it's, it's an interesting 
I guess, coalition of people because, I mean, it's it's sort of what you would expect if you had uh, a split from a, a main conservative party that had kind of monopolized that space for, you know, um, maybe like 15 years or so. And uh, you have someone who's kind of speaking to issues of yeah, anti-multiculturalism, anti-United Nations, anti-immigration, um, and he's saying that he's founding a new party. Who who do you think would be attracted to this? Like it's not it's not surprising, but there's um, so there's a few interesting things. Like uh, just the other day, there was a report that the founding. Uh, signatories of the party who sort of registered the party to come into existence. Uh, one of the names on that was, uh, sorry, what is his name? It's Sean Walker, who's the former leader of the American neo-Nazi group, uh, the National Alliance. Right. So we know that he was a founding member of the PPC, but he was also active as an organizer for like at least a year. Uh, and it was only, I think, a couple of months ago when he was identified that this is who it is. Um, and they, they did turf him from the party once they found out that he was a neo-Nazi. Uh, so that's a little bar. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, he was he was an organizer in Ontario for, for a very long time. And yeah, he should have known that this person was a Nazi because Maxine Bernie followed him on Twitter. And, and he was tweeting these, uh, these really offensive things. Um, but th- there are other people, like people associated with a number of militia groups, like the Soldiers of Odin, uh, Northern Guard... There's uh, like Pegida, which is this anti-Muslim group. There are people like that who are associated um, in, in the founding of the party. But since then, there's, I mean, it'd be, there are just countless examples of, of individuals who are, who've either said bigoted things or who are, you know, espoused alt-right views. A lot of people who mobilized around the Toronto uh, mayor campaign of Faith Goldie last year, which uh, you may or may not have paid attention to um that was sort of another sort of locus for organizing on the far right uh in recent years um so you have a lot of sort of those characters you have uh i mean a whole bunch of QAnon youtubers including this one guy billy joyce this is a current candidate in nova scotia uh he runs a QAnon youtube account called canada's red pill um he he's been saying things like he suggested uh, that Trudeau has been mind controlled by the Illuminati, and he—I uh, I looked on his Facebook page the same day that he announced on Facebook that he had been chosen as the candidate for the People's Party in his writing. An hour after he put to that on Facebook, he posted a 9/11 truther meme. Like it's—it's <laughs> it's not even hiding it. And this guy is still um, a candidate. There's there's at least one other YouTuber who uh, talks about 9-11 truther uh, conspiracy theories. Um, there's a number of other, basically every far-right YouTuber uh, in this country right now ha- is a candidate for the People's Party. And that's not even a joke. There's also, like, you know the angry, uh, like, angry man filming himself ranting in, in a car? You know that genre of video? Oh, right. That's like that's like 50% of the Republican Party here in the United States. <laughs> like, um, I think he has like two or three of candidates or like those people. Like he could have a caucus of angry men um, on his on his camera <laughs> filming in his car if he wins enough seats. Enough seats. So it's kind of ridiculous. Like I'm now imagining like four, you know, far right People's Party uh, candidates in you know, all in the same vehicle, each recording their own video and you hear the others in the background of each one's video. Yeah. That's great. I love it. That, w- that wouldn't even be a parody. That was just, <laughs> that's happening now in Canada. Like it's, uh, it's ridiculous. And then there's this other thing, which, um, which I've been following is this, there's this one PPC official. So he's the CEO of a riding association, uh, in the Toronto area who, um, it, we recently found out that his name was on a list uh, like he's an official member of this party called the Canadian Nationalist Party, which is considered like a white nationalist neo-Nazi party. Um, the leader of this party put out an anti-Semitic video referring to Jews as a parasitic tribe, which must be expelled from Canada. Um, so this is this is a registered party. Uh, and when they registered, they had to release, they had to make public the list of names so and one of the names is again this official for the ppc simultaneously um 
he was also a uh, an organizer with Faith Goldie's campaign. So this is someone who associates, who's a member of, of a neo-Nazi party who isn't just an official, but he has been going around with Maxime Bernier to media interviews um, and, and with candidates. Wow. And he's, he's currently active in the party. Now, I'm going to go back to some of these people here because I, I need to know a little bit more about some of them. Um, first off, and I, this has been since, since I read uh, the QAnon connection here, I, I need to ask you, and it's, if you don't know, this is a very specific, this is like niche within the far right. So I need to ask you, though. What is the QAnon belief in Canada? Like, how does that, f- how does that fit in? Like, QAnon here, like, the whole thing is that the deep state and Obama and uh, Hillary and Hollywood are out to uh, undermine Donald Trump as he tries to take down a global pedophile ring. Now, that's very, like, I get it's a global pedophile ring, so clearly Canada could uh, come into play there. But the rest of it, the major- like the, the, the basis of QAnon is very much focused on what's going on in the deep underbelly of the U.S. government. So I need to ask you, what, if you're a QAnon follower in Canada, uh, what, what, are you, what are you looking into? Like, what is your, what is your thing? That's a good question. And, you know, I've tried to look into it a little bit, but it's so incomprehensible, to be honest. <laughs> um, I, I would say that most of the time, a lot of the QAnon content is, there's not really a substance to it. It's more like um, but just showing support for the broader movement, specifically in the United States. And there might be, you know, references to Trudeau um, in some way as part of something. Uh, I think one of these QAnon, one of the QAnon guys was talking about how like there's a Trudeau Institute and he was talking about how it's connected to international pedophilia ring for some reason. So they're, they're, they're sort of making it Canadian. They're Canadianizing aspects of it. But I think for the most part, it's, um, it's, it's basically just, just jumping on the, the, the American train with that. Although there may, I'm sure there may be others listening who have more insight into this. You could, you could tell you more. Is there a is there is there a secret pedophile ring in the basement of Tim Hortons over there? <laughs> Not that I'm aware of. Not that I'm aware of. Is that the Canadian version of it? That would be, you know, that's something else. Well, you uh, know, it's, it's totally weird, but it's like the first that I remember seeing QAnon come up was um, in December of last year when there was another sort of a mobilization that kind of overlapped with Maxine Bernays around um, Canada's Yellow Vest movement. Uh, which is sort of like an appropriation of the French yellow vests, except, right, but you except, guys... except just entirely far right, uh, like again fringes, and where where we had rallies actually for a few weeks, they were pretty, the, like they were across the country and they were going like every weekend they were going out to street corners and protesting, uh, with signs like uh, Trudeau is a traitor, uh, hang Trudeau for treason, like that kind of thing, and then you had you started to see these QAnon QAnon people show up across the country, and then I guess they all got incorporated into Bernays' party. Maxine Bernays over the summer, it was kind of alarming because he was sharing a video by a prominent QAnon YouTuber named Amazing Polly, and the specific video was um, about how the Christchurch, the the white supremacist terrorist, uh, was actually left-wing. That was the content of the video that he shared. Um, but that was the first time we're like, why is he giving a boost to these people? But now they're just straight up um, his candidates running for election. Right. So he's just totally bought into it. Right, right. Now, it's interesting about the yellow vest thing because it didn't even occur to me that, you know, you know, the yellow vest movement was, wasn't a thing here in, in the States. But you guys have the, the French connection. <laughs> now, so, that wasn't even it, to be honest. I think what happened is that Rebel Media was the first... Um, outlet to really start reporting on the yellow vest in France and sort of um, even though in in France it was kind of like an amorphous sort of um, broad-based movement against austerity and against the government uh, in Canada it was interpreted through rebel media as a far-right protest revolt against specifically um, like carbon taxes 
in in France. And so they they were able to pitch it or frame it in Canada as and and to create a new yellow vest movement. In fact, Rebel Media was selling their own yellow vests, branded yellow vests, uh, for people to go out into the streets and wear. But they were pitching it as um, sort of a local movement against Trudeau's carbon tax here, as well as tying it to the Global Migration Compact, which was a, a non-binding document to regulate, well, to basically to for international cooperation on the issue of migrants, which has been pitched in Canada by not only Bernier, but also by Andrew Scheer and the Conservative Party as a threat to Canadian sovereignty and and un- yeah, undermining Canada's control over its own borders. Now I'm gonna. I wanted to bring up Rebel Media, but but you brought up something there that I want to uh, touch upon. How how much of because you know the party system here in the U.S. is much different than you know Canada, the U.K. You know, we have a two-party system. You know, there's minor parties that have no, you know, they, there's no representation in the federal government whatsoever. Maybe they have a few local and state-level candidates scattered around the country. But, you know, so, so you know, if you want to be a racist uh, politician and get a national platform, you have to join the Republican Party. So it's clear as, it's clear as day. Like, there's, there's no, like... Uh, you know the, the line is there. You can see it right, right, right there. Look at the look who's in the Republican Party nowadays. But the way things are in Canada, you know, you're bringing up the Conservative Party and the People's Party as two separate parties. Clearly, they are two separate parties. But from what it sounds like, uh, there's a lot of overlap, and they're sort of the Conservative Party at least is benefiting from the fact that uh, the system there is not a two-party system in terms of they're able to espouse a lot of these same views, but sort of, at least on the surface, sort of uh, say, oh, but we're not those people because, look, they are a separate party. Yeah, it's, it's really complicated because there's uh, we have a first-past-the-post uh, parliamentary system, so it's actually pretty hard to pass a threshold and have a representation of smaller parties in government. So you don't actually tend to have a lot of change of political parties over time. And it also means that, um, like, the Conservative Party has gone a number of massive shifts over the past 30 years. There was, uh, there was a split in the late 90s from the Progressive Conservatives and then the new Reform Party, uh, which was sort of based in the West, but also, again, was sort of a lot of, uh, of, the, of the more far-right, populist, right-wing kind of elements. Um, and then you have them... Uh, merge again in uh, early 2000s under Stephen Harper, um, centralizing their power. And that meant that Stephen Harper was able to be in power for a long time because the right wing wasn't split. Uh, the vote wasn't split as it previously was. So now after that centralization for a long time, we're seeing another split. So it's kind of that's the dynamic is like when the conservatives want power, when they want to make sure that they're actually forming a government, there's some uh, cohesion there, and maybe the base is willing uh, to be uh, muffled or stifled a little bit in order so that the Conservative Party can come across as moderate. Um, but then you have a long enough period where that's no longer tenable, and we're seeing that break with Maxime Bernier right now. But um, although at the same time, it's like the Conservative Party here. Uh, it's doing a fairly good job of message control, but at the same time, it's it's definitely connected behind the scenes to like the rebel media types. The founding one of the founding directors of Rebel Media um, is the campaign director for the Conservative Party in this election. So there's definitely close ties, even though after Charlottesville, uh, the Conservatives basically said we're not going to do media interviews uh, with Rebel Media anymore and kind of have a a bit of a distance, whereas previously they were doing interviews with Faith Goldie and all of that. So. There's there's a lot of like kind of uh, positioning I guess happening, right? Uh, and it's hard to know exactly where that's going to end up. And I got to hand it to you, ever the professional, knowing that earlier I said we're going to come back to Rebel Media, and perfectly chewing up Rebel Media for me. Thank you, I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so let's get into Rebel Media now. You know, I actually wasn't sure how much we would talk about them because before you mentioned them up top. I had planned on asking you, which I decided not to ask you because you answered it. I was planning on asking you, you know, when I mentioned the people like Stefan Molyneux who, who break through those Canadian boundaries and are sort of more known, you know, to a U.S. audience, 
Rebel Media, now maybe not Ezra and who's, who else is behind Rebel Media, but Rebel Media as an entity is sort of one of those, you know, rare groups that sort of, I think, people who know the right wing in the U.S. have at least come across or heard of. And basically, they are, in my estimation, I mean, how I summarize them is they are sort of the incubator for some of the biggest far-right personalities that have come out of Canada. Now, these are people who maybe at the time when they joined Rebel Media were obviously bad, but not as extreme as they ended up. They joined Rebel Media. Rebel Media sort of allows them and supports them and sort of uh, funds them to espouse their views and become some big personality. Uh, They get big, and then they even become more radically right-wing. And then they leave Rebel Media and go off to uh, fill the poc- their pockets on their own. To me, the, the, the best example of this, even though uh, she seems to have uh, ducked out of her grift and no longer doing this whole uh, right-wing personality shtick, Lauren Southern. Um, you know, so how much, the question I was going to ask you was, how much is Rebel Media part of this new people's party and sort of uh bernier's sort of play here like how how much is rebel media involved with that it's it's a little hard to say um because they've kind of been hedging their bets a little bit i think ezra levent i've been following it a bit like his commentary like when when maxine bernay split and and started the pbc um ezra levent was sort of really hesitant because he thinks that by splitting the vote it means there's less of a chance for conservatives to come into power in this election. And ultimately, that is, uh, you know, what he wants to see. At the same time, uh, you know, Scheer hasn't been doing interviews with them anymore, whereas Maxime Bernier is doing, like, live keynote events with them. You know, he's no, he's not afraid to be associated with them. He's uh, using their talking points. Um, a lot of people like Stefan Molyneux, like Faith Goldie, have made statements that are sort of endorsing Maxime Bernier. He's like, clearly, um, people want to support him, but at the same time, they want power. So they have to kind of hedge their bets. And this week, they're selling T-shirts. Um, they're selling uh, a Maxime Bernier T-shirt, and they're selling an Andrew Scheer T-shirt. So I think they're really trying to like uh, play both sides a little bit. They're not really sure which way it's going to go. But they know that obviously Maxine Bernier using their talking points in using his national platform is helping their own ideological goals. But he could also undermine the conservatives at getting uh, reelected. So it's kind of hard to say. But absolutely, rebel media in general plays a huge role of this in Canada um, and, and overseas, which is always really surprising. But I think they really were able to capitalize off of YouTube and right. like early on, like figured out how to use that to their benefit. Uh, to get their word out internationally. And I think they probably have more viewers internationally than they do at home, I would guess. Right. I I will say this, you know, there there are individual, you know, standalone YouTubers who do their own thing in the U.S. who are obviously bigger than Rebel Media. Oh, yeah. But in terms of a right-wing news organization, I wouldn't say, you know, a new independent or or indie, you know, whatever you Mm want to call them, news organization in general, left, moderate, right wing, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, I think there's no organization who has been as successful at YouTube in that industry than Rebel Media. I mm-hmm. can't think of a U.S. organization. Breitbart never really took off on. Maybe maybe uh, what Ben Shapiro and the, his, uh, his, uh, his uh, news outlet is uh, doing now. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're approaching that. But they mm-hmm. came late. Rebel Media has been doing this for years. Yeah, 2015. Been... Right. So, yeah, that's a great point you made. And let me ask you this, actually, because uh, being that I brought up like Breitbart, I do feel like, well, uh, at least from my perspective in the U.S., that Rebel Media has, just like Breitbart did, they've peaked. You know, they, mm. I, I don't hear their name being, you know, obviously they're probably still very influential as Breitbart is on the right. But in terms of how they sort of took over the mainstream coverage uh, in their respective peak years, Mm -hmm. I think I don't hear about Rebel Media as much anymore. I think that's true. Um, So there's a few things. I think 
Well, first of all, like I, I wouldn't call them even an independent or right wing news outlet, I think, because I think Breitbart even does more news than Rebel Media does. Even they just branded themselves as news. But like really they don't do any journalism. They have like uh it's a video blog, but like most of their videos are they send uh, a provocateur out to a rally or or something and they get them to um to harass a politician or to harass you know or like to provoke uh left-wing protesters at an event or something and then they they post a confrontation of that online as a video and that's kind of like look we did documentation of this and that's their news so it's like very very weak um in terms of journalism uh, that it's, I don't even know if we can call it that, but I, I would say that it's definitely peaked. I think 2017 was a big deal. It was after all, Faith Goldie was, um, a correspondent for Rebel Media when she went down to Charlottesville to cover the, the rally and she did so in a sympathetic way. The, the, she then went on, um, uh, a neo-Nazi podcast. All right. And, and that is when, that's when everything fell apart for them. Uh, oh, she said the words live on air. She recited yeah. the uh yeah i think that might have been the 14 words might have been a different that might have been a different podcast right right right, right. Uh, but but definitely the charlottesville at the time that was sort of when everyone could no longer uh associate with them and so you had a whole bunch of their uh, their correspondents leave within a short time and you had uh, politicians in canada almost universally refused to to speak to rebel media anymore. And so there was definitely like a stigmatization and disassociation that happened. Uh, and I, and now they have like only a few correspondents. Is there, um, is there it, someone who's up and coming there now who's going to be the next Southern or Goldie? I mean, I, I doubt it because they're so like the quality of the, of the people who are there now <laughs> is right. like, I don't think they have it. So there's this one guy, uh, Keen Bexta, who, uh, I think that they're trying out something where they're sending him to the U.S. to get to cover like um, stories in the U.S. A, a lot of the time, they're sending him to harass uh, Elon Omar, for example, or or it might be I don't know something else that's sort of top of the news. Uh, they'll send him there to do some like talking to people on the street or to harass someone, and they'll post the videos. And they'll they know that because they're posting videos of something that's sort of clickbait that they'll get a lot of traction. And so you have a lot of um, the key far right figures in the U S retweeting him and then uh, Tucker Carlson showing the videos on his program. And so they sort of find a way to find a niche to create content for the U S market, even though they're not doing anything other than harassing people. Uh, But I think that's sort of all they have at this moment. Whereas in the past, I mean, yeah, you mentioned a couple of them, but like, uh, also, Katie Hopkins, Gavin McGinnis, Laura Loomer, uh, Jack Basabiak, uh, Tony Robinson, Tommy Robinson, like right, like well, big like hitters who these have are... gone to to get kicked off of social media platforms. Right, and that's inter- I, I was sort of just I guess sticking with the Canadian like the names that that the the homegrown talent I guess you can mm-hmm. say. But no, that's a great point. I'm glad you brought it up. Like these are names that you know Tommy Robinson in the UK. This is you know, and then we have Loomer and and Posabiak. Uh, here in the U.S., I mean, these are this is like I mentioned earlier, and it's a global thing that that you know, and and this is sort of why I think it's so important because they're working in tandem. Like when Trump boasts about Bolsonaro in Brazil, you know, he's not. There's a play there. Like I'm not saying Trump is smart. I'm saying uh, what's his face, uh, Stephen. Uh, I'm having a mental block right now. Oh my god, Stephen Miller. Um, he's, he's made a play in the speech for Trump to say this, you know, and Trump says it cause that's what, that's his guy. Um, you know, when, you know, what we're seeing, and this is, you know, I know people in the chat or, you know, some of them are saying, you know, but in the, in Canada, people's party's a joke. Well, yeah, it's a joke now. Trump was a joke too. And, and I'm not saying it's, it's at all the same thing, but you just never know. And then even if the party remains a joke, I mean, clearly there are still minds being swayed, and you don't know what comes out of that down the line. Who, who, who's turned on by this stuff? What they go on to do? Hell, maybe uh, some uh, some twenty year old uh, fail son is listening to what uh, Bernier has to say. Grows up, thirty year old. He's thirty years old. Ten years down the line, he starts his own party that blows up, and then you have a new right wing movement in the in Canada. So mm-hmm. I think you know it, it's not. 
you know, it's not something to downplay, even while also obviously uh, mentioning where they are in, you know, legitimately in the in the in the at least the elections. <laughs> yeah, and they're definitely seen as a joke, but at, but they are getting because they are an official party, they are getting platformed in the mainstream media. And it's uh, so he becomes like a, a way to to take the worst, most extreme views on the edges of Canadian society and to lift them up and to give them uh, more uh, more Canadian attention. And he can be sort of like a focus for that. Uh, so it's definitely a bit worrisome. And yeah, but it but it is funny, for example, when Dave Rubin brings him onto his show and interviews him and talks about him as if he's like a, an amazing political leader who as if he's someone who has a shot of winning more than like a couple of seats at best. And it's funny when he he gives Maxine Bernay uh, shout outs on Tucker Carlson. I think he's done that at least twice to, to give him sort of national uh, traction. He, he definitely. um yeah, but but I think that the contradiction there is because he is someone who is, um, I guess, a vessel for these right wing views. Um, it's just kind of like Rebel Media, uh, is a tiny little organization, but has a huge reach, uh, precisely because it also is playing that role of um, of of selling something that definitely a lot of people are buying. Right, and I want to point this out, and I'm glad you brought it full circle again because I wanted to. To wrap it up with uh, a discussion about how this uh, this Ruben event is going to play out, uh, right. I just received a tweet from uh, from Drew over on Twitter uh, that links to an article that says that basically Ruben's claim about the whole security costing uh, the college has not received any threats, despite what Ruben has shared in tweets. So Ruben's whole thing is for show; it's bullshit. He's there's no the college itself is saying. He's lying without calling him a liar, obviously. Yeah, I mean, he tweeted that he was canceled, and then he went on Tucker Carlson to say that he's a victim of cancel culture. But the event is going ahead tomorrow. It's not; it hasn't been canceled. The venue is saying that the uh, that the security price hasn't increased. There have been no death threats, uh, at least reported by the university. And um, I mean, there's two interesting things. One is that uh, Dave Rubin has on Twitter at least, offered to pay the increased security fee, which may or may not be an electoral violation. I'm not really sure uh, if, if if as like an American citizen, he's allowed to essentially provide um, like a campaign donation in that way. Uh, the other thing is that, so there was supposed to be this uh, a counter event happening at the same time, which was put on, I believe, by academics and the, uh, like the Q, the, um, like one of the unions on campus, we're going to hold like a, a talking about the far right and and the People's Party, and this was going to be an event, and they had to move their event to to next week because the university was telling them that if they had a simultaneous event, they would have to pay four thousand dollars in security fees. So it's actually the the uh, the left wing <laughs> protesters who, because of security fees, are forced to cancel their event and to move it. So it's totally a misrepresentation of the of the whole situation. Now, what is what you know? I'm seeing some things online that was sent to me, and I haven't. I just saw these now, so I haven't looked into this. But what is the the Ruben connection with Bernier so much? So that beyond even just sort of he came across him, and he's a politician that aligns with Ruben's with Ruben's ideology. Like there seems to be, and I I've, I don't want to mention it because I have to look into it more because I'm just seeing these links now. What is? Do you are you familiar with some sort of the, the the sort of connection between the folks that back Ruben Report and have affiliation with his show, and uh, the people who support uh, support uh, Bernier? Uh, I mean, I, I I too saw something online that there may be connections. Like uh, Maxine Bernier used to work at sort of a libertarian economic think tank uh, before he got into politics. And um, there may be sort of a similar like international libertarian. Um, there there may be organizational connections between his past and Dave Rubin's show, like the people who fund it. Um, but I'm I I don't know not enough about it to really say more than that. I I wouldn't be surprised that um, that there be sort of like that they would have met before because they're both you know uh, classical liberals or whatever whatever they call themselves, but. Um, yeah, I just can't imagine really how he got 
the attention of Dave Rubin when he's such a nothing in Canada. It doesn't. It doesn't really make any sense. Like I don't get it. Well, you know, if all goes well with the the Rubin relationship, Bernier is going to have a pretty hardcore fan base here in the U.S., which will really help him with the elections in Canada. Yeah, it's good. Good for him. All right. Michael Buchert, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Now, where can people find, uh, follow you, you know, follow your work, uh, find out more, you know, I know you write for, I think you, you, you wrote for, uh, Jacobin and other places. Where can people follow you so you, they, they can, they can track what you do? Yeah, probably on Twitter is best. So at M Buchert, uh, would be cool. I also did want to give a couple of shout outs to people who are following this and who I rely on a lot so like mac lamaru for vice has been doing a lot of good research on uh the people's party and especially on the QAnon connection um yellow vest canada exposed is a really good account on twitter so that's at vest canada um they're following the yellow vest stuff and increasingly a lot of the the people party stuff as well as the canadian anti-hate network is doing some good stuff um there's way more than that but i wanted to just give a shout out there's a lot of canadians uh doing really good um, research and advocacy to counter what is the rise of the far right up here. So, uh, yeah, if you're interested, check them out. All right, Michael, thank you so much for uh, joining us tonight, and uh, take care. Thanks so much. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you're about to hear the bloop bloop from the Skype. Here we go, bloop bloop. And let me just pull myself up. on. The... All right. Now, if you're watching on YouTube, you'll notice my nice little background. Um... Had to, had to. I mean, I, I honestly am shocked I went through this whole episode and didn't mention the wrestling connection with Canada. The Hart Foundation, the Hart family, Bret Hart, Stu Hart, Owen Hart, Jim the Anvil Neidhart, British Bulldog. And then you have great professional wrestlers, Chris Jericho, Lance Storm, so many names I could name, I could just throw out there right now, who all come from Canada. And, you know, if I want to get silly with you all, I could say the Mountie. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's shocking to me that a place as kind as Canada, where the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be comes from, can have fascists. Ugh, it disturbs me. But, uh, folks, you can support this show by going to patreon.com slash mattbinder. Um, you know, I, I don't ask for so much. I ask for five bucks. You can give less. You can give more. If you cannot afford to do so, please don't give any at all. But if you can afford to do so, this show is not possible without the people who pay for it, to be honest with you. I've said this every episode now, but it's getting serious now as this show grows. Because there's stuff I want to do and there's stuff I can't do because we don't get the money yet. We're extremely, I'm talking, I believe it's two dozen patrons away from hitting our first goal. I'm terrible at promoting this Patreon page, so I'm shocked we're even approaching this goal. If you can become a patron, I would appreciate it immensely. The patient subscribers, the people who make this show possible. Here we go. Let's uh, and we got someone new too. Just as I, uh, all right, I got. I'm gonna name everybody here because there's no way I'm. I'm no way I'm leaving this out. What, what's going on here? Jeez, I'm out of it. If I'm not shouting out the patrons, here we go. Let's do this. Abigail T, Adam Q, Alan B, Andrew H, Ari R, Benji. Bobby M, Brosnan, BZ, Champagne Kami, Chi, Christine H, Colin R, Cyber Snowstorm, Dakota R, Dan, Dan K, Dan M, Dank Uger, Dave K, David Z, David P, Dragon Slayer, Eugene B, Froz K, FTW All Day, Greg D, Grim, Grim Lock, oh yeah, Grim's on. Board now, Ian Jackson, Ian Curtis J, Jamison Test, Janelle A, Jasmine H, Jeff K, Jeremy M, 
John S, Jonathan B, Jonathan L, Joseph R, Joyce M, Justin M, Justin S. We got Justins, we got Jonathans, we got Daves. Love it. Love to see first names more than once. Uh, Katie S, Katz, Kaushal, Larry G, Lisa D, Lisa H, the Lisas. Uh, <clears throat> Machine Gun Etiquette, Max W, User Me, Melissa M, Michael B, Michael J, Michael M, Mr. Dinks, Nicole A, Namdeinet, Null Style, O Death, Romina O, Ryan Left His Best, Scott R, Sean H, Stephen S, Struggle Session, Swizzle M, TM, Tamney G, Thaddeus A, Tim M, Tom G, Tom M, Why That Tie Guy, Will P, Utopian, and Zarin, and last but not least, Getting it in under the wire is our latest patron subscriber. Hasn't given me the money yet because patron hasn't taken it from his or her account. But you get props anyway for joining. I'm uh, trusting you. You'll, uh, <laughs> you'll at least give me the fiver. What do you mean videos? Thank you so much uh, to all of you, really. Uh, can't thank you enough. It's really it's, it's what drives the show. Show would not be possible without people who become patrons, subscribers, and also people who uh, stick around. And you know, uh, if you'd like to give a one-off donation, you can do so right here in the super chat if you're watching live. Uh, in the live chat, I should say, by giving a super chat, uh, I'll read your your super chat ASAP right off the bat. No, you jump the line of all the other. Uh, you jump the line of all the other people that I might read. And, uh... uh someone in the chat's telling me, uh... Kevin Owens. Of course, Kevin Owens. How could I forget? But I won't name... Well, I'll say the other one, but I'm not gonna, gonna give it up to Chris Benoit. I'm sorry, buddy. The Quebecers, I will. Chris Benoit, I will not. That's an episode, actually. The Benoit thing is an episode. Um, you know, far right tracking, conspiracy theories, weird shit, <laughs> online and offline. That's this show. Horrible, terrible stuff. Really. <laughs> so we will definitely eventually do a Benoit thing because, ugh, what a mess. And you know. Like I, I joked about earlier, there's there's nothing going on in the U.S. this week, so had to move over to Canada. But whatever is happening in the U.S. this week, I don't know. I was reading something about Trump and Ukraine and something weird like that, I think. Something about impeachment, maybe. I don't know. But we'll get into that in the next week or two. Every other, every other podcast and TV show and YouTube channel is talking about that stuff. So I was like, you know what? Let's do something different. And I will talk about that stuff because clearly there's conspiracies to debunk and right-wingers to, to right-wing uh, uh, talking points to, 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 to break down. And honestly, that story in itself is sort of insane, the whole background of it. And I'm actually talking with someone, and we're going to have a great show on that. But, you know, this show, we do something different here. We don't follow, we lead, we don't follow. Oh, you're all talking about that whole story that's captivating the whole United States? We're going to jump into Canadian far-right uh, fringe world. Please. How else can you support this show? iTunes, Google Play, doomedpod.com is where you can listen to the show. Get those links to the iTunes and Google Play uh, platforms. On top of that, please leave a review on iTunes. We're inching really close to like I think like 200 uh, iTunes reviews. A lot of shows don't even get 100, so to get 200 is awesome. People really put gravity onto those reviews. Leave a star review if you have some time. Literally, time is in a minute, not even. Leave a written review. Uh, YouTube.com slash Matt Binder. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you're watching on the live stream, there is no excuse as to why you haven't hit that subscribe button. 
And if you're not watching on the live stream, I get it. You're probably in your car or commuting, so maybe you're not on YouTube right now. Take a minute. Jump over onto your YouTube app. Go to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash and hit the subscribe button. We got to grow the YouTube channel. I mean, what's the point? What's the point of doing this show if we're not growing the YouTube channel? That's where it's all going to be at. The Patreon page has got to grow so we can fund the show, but the YouTube channel's got to grow so we build the audience. We got the podcast audience. If you're not listening to the podcast, we welcome you aboard. But I'm very happy where the podcast audience is at. It's the YouTube audience I need to see bigger. I need to see that get bigger, all right? Turn into Vince McMahon over here. Oh, being asked online, what was the YouTube channel again? Oh, youtube.com slash Did I not mention it enough? <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to go into the patron-only portion of the show. If you're listening into the live stream, you're welcome to stick around. If you're not, and you're not a paying uh, patron subscriber, this is where we say goodbye. I bid you adieu. Eh? Uh, and, uh, see you all next time on Doomed. Doomed.